Hello. There we go. We're live. Yep. All right. Hopefully this picks both of our voices up (laughs) and records it. It looks like it's working now. Okay. All right. Well, Wilma, welcome to the very first episode of Casual Disasters. Um, Today I have this local acting improv extraordinaire pun off slayer. Oh, I also put in here zine slanging. I do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Wilma and I are here at the public library recording above the Spokane Falls right now with an epic view. And yeah, it's really exciting. Wilma actually got me into the comedy scene or coming to comedy, hopefully to eventually do comedy but I think that I've like turned a new leaf and don't really want to do it but I really like doing this podcast idea because I'm more behind the scenes than being up that I talked about last week out and present in front of other people um so I have Wilma here to discuss you know anything really that comes up for her but some of the things that we have in common and we were talking about last night like I love that we sit around a fire and can discuss all these deep topics and being that you kind of transplanted into Spokane, I think you have a really, um, you know, cool view of like growing, not growing up here, but coming in and being friends with a whole group Mm -hmm. of people that grew up here. And so, yeah, discussing our common things like Catholicism, both going to Gonzaga and you staying in Spokane and choosing this city. Well, yeah. Two times. Like I, because there was the Gonzaga time that I came here and then the more recent time that I came here. Oh, yeah, because you moved to Minneapolis. Right, and then back to California for a little bit of 2020 and most of 2021. Yeah, so tell us all about, like, you, who you are, kind of what brings you here to Spokane. I think you summed it up. As far as who I am, I am the acting improv extraordinaire, zine-slanging, I'm trying to remember all of it. <laughs> also a bass, you play bass and guitar. I do so that. I forgot yeah. to mention music. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And you have like yeah. new music coming out that we'll talk about at some <laughs> point <laughs> and promote. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I did tell you there's like stuff I'm working on. There's no like release date or even like, I don't know. Well, look, I have a website that's called www.dargan.xyz <laughs> America. Take note. If there's one thing, if you really want to follow me around after this, that's probably how to do it. Anything that I would share would be shared there. There's a lot of shit. There's like video games, there's um, comic books, um, half baked, um, trauma infused. <laughs> You know, ideas. Oh. Is there someone out there? Andy just waved at me. (laughs) Also something interesting about this room, as we're recording, there's a huge window into the library where everyone can watch us recording the podcast. Yeah, kind of the only (laughs) fucking window that doesn't have shades on it. Yeah. All the other windows, we get to decide if they're open or closed, but this one is just full blast. Like where someone could sit front row, really, and just uh, get some voyeurism in. (laughs) Imagine if this podcast, you know, was making ad revenue, you quit your job, Andy just walked by and waved at me. Like, that's, 
that's he, he, that that could cost us money. <laughs> Valuable air time. You know, like or, I would have to grab him and bring him in here and, and like interview him right make now. Make him give us both 20 bucks, honestly, <laughs> for like obstructing our job. You know, he's yeah. just lucky that this is so casual right now. <laughs> it's a casual disaster. That's the name of the podcast. Um, so, yeah, because you've come in here and recorded with, or he's in charge of the music studio, right? Where you can record free. Yeah. Yeah, he like engineers the music studio side of the of this space here. That's awesome. So, I kind of let's jump into comedy. Like, what brought you to comedy? How did that all start? I know you. You know, I mentioned mm-hmm. improv, but yeah, yeah, it's been most of my experience being a comedian, and that started for me when I was like twelve or thirteen but it didn't start right away. Like there was an improv team at my middle school. So I guess the first time I was aware of an improv team that I wanted to be a part of, I was in sixth grade. And weirdly, like this friend of mine who was also in sixth grade, he got on the team and uh, was performing, you know, short form, who's liney type of shows with, all these other improvisers, it was like a, every grade was allowed to be in it uh, at the time. And then the next year, they shut off auditions, and they were like, it's an eighth graders only thing. So I didn't get to do it. And then it disbanded. So in middle school, this like idea was planted. It was like, that's sweet as fuck, and I really want to do it. Plus that like my best friend was in it, and had like kind of gotten in on this like sneaky like it's for eighth graders only now, but like you're still on there. It's like, oh man, that should be me. <laughs> Jealousy or whatever. But uh, didn't get to actually like join a team until high school, and uh, was just super heavy on it ever since then. And I grew up in uh, Southern California, where comedy sports Los Angeles has like a very thriving. Um, high school team network, uh, high school league. It's called a league. <laughs> a league. A network. Uh, <laughs> so it's all. Yeah, yeah. And that was a really, that was awesome because uh, these like professional comedians who do the same type of shows that you would do as a high schooler, uh, playing the same games and wearing the same uniforms and stuff, like, they would come out, I want to say, like, once every three months or something like that, and you would have, like, this day of uh, really good workshops with, like, really smart people who were really cool and friendly, and uh, that was just incredible to be around, and that was, that was what high school improv was like for me. Um, so like the Spokane transition here, like did you get into improv like right off the jump or when did you get into improv here in Spokane? Well, when I came to uh, Gonzaga, (laughs) home of the dog, (laughs) as you know, (laughs) and I came out to the old dog house. (laughs) 
That was one of the only things on my mind. I was like, if I'm doing improv somewhere, then everything else will be okay. I really had like so few qualifications on what a school should be like for me. I was like, number one, it should be not home. Number two, I should be able to get on an improv team. And then whatever else happens is fine. It's all going to be something I don't really want to do. So who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Was it all done through Blue Door? No, I didn't do Blue Door for a couple of years. I didn't, well, I think I might've known about it early on, but no, at first I was in the Gonzaga University Theater Sports team. Whoa, I love this. Tell me about that. Oh yeah. Um, They're also doing short form shows, um, just like handfuls of goofy party game type of improv stuff. You're like, you know, dinging a bell and running around. (laughs) Um, It was a pretty big community. It was very, uh, a very sharp contrast to what doing almost identical shows in California was like, because all of a sudden, like your access to the stage was very policed. And uh, it was frustrating. I don't want to sound like um entitled (laughs) Uh, you know maybe i was a little bit but also uh, i really don't think that like it was necessary to um make it so hard for kids to just get on stage you have to kind of go through some rungs of uh the ladder there and there was like a three-person council that was elected every year I swear that just electing that council and like everyone giving their speeches and like everyone forming the um, their voter base that was like as much if not more time spent in that group as as like playing and those were just some painful weeks I mean it was like yeah let's go to improv practice but you're not going to improv practice you're going to like a bizarre town hall debate about who is the most mature and friendly improviser who will now guide us into the future. Um, uh, and I threw my hat in that shit, you know. <laughs> I bet was, you did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was good. It was what I needed. It wasn't as much of it as I needed. And, like, uh, I just knew that it wasn't the way that this had to be. And that's hard to put up with for too long, where you're like, just wishing that there was more playing and more opportunities to play. But it's like one show a month that they uh, really, they really vet who's going to do it. I don't even know what that word means. I just know that's what people <laughs> would say in this situation. Uh, it fits. Just, it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so yeah, interesting. I don't want to wallow in that too much, I guess. Well, so like what led, I mean, eventually then you got into like maybe graduated. Is that what happened from Gonzaga and then went to like Blue Door? Was that no. like No, yeah. So Blue Door, I started uh, about halfway through college because I had a friend who um, was just like, first of all, they grew up in Spokane. So like knew about the Blue Door already and had like, been experienced with like their shows and stuff 
Whereas I think most of the Gonzaga group, it's these kids who are just like really staying on that block of Spokane and uh, for whatever reason are terrified or can't be bothered to like really integrate with the rest of the city. And uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of like, fuck Blue Door, we don't do shit the way they do shit. And also we don't even know how they do it because we won't go. <laughs> you know, it was a circular so like the Spokane hater. <laughs> nobody wanted to get involved with it, and like if if you talked about how you had been there and had a great time, they'd be like, oh, you know, like why aren't we good enough for you? Why why don't you love this? Why aren't you devoted to this? Uh, and it's hilarious because like one of the best things about Gonzaga University theater sports is that they had some famous graduates who went viral as hell for a number of years. Um, for Rats and Beretta, and they went to the Blue Door, and they continued to be funny there. And it's like, you're going to talk about them all the time and be like, that's why we're cool, but like, you don't actually want to pursue this the way they pursued this. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so my friend Devin got on the show there on at the Blue Door, and it was very small at the time. It kind of like goes through these like waves of membership and they were at kind of a low water line. So to just say, hey, I have a friend who's funny and um, I think they should come to a Wednesday practice and we should just see if it fits. I kind of walked on there a little bit. Like there was no audition exactly. It was just like friend of a friend style, uh, just kind of falling in with them. And then all of a sudden I was doing like two shows a weekend there. Uh, and I kept doing that um, well past graduation. Uh, so it was at the Blue Door from like 2012 until 2016 or something like that. And those were some incredible years for sure. There was a lot of cool shit that went down there. And then you appeared in the comedy scene. When did that happen? Oh, yeah. As soon as I turned 21, I started doing stand-up because I really wanted to. And that's pretty much the the main barrier of participation in Spokane is uh, just the fact that it's always happening in a bar. Oh, yeah. So true. Yeah. And I knew, I heard stories from one person, Michael Glatzmeyer, if you're listening. Hello, Michael Glatzmeyer. <laughs> we used to tell stories about going to old Uncle D's comedy underground as a... Um, you know, not of drinking age child and like standing outside until it's time to do their set. And uh, yeah, I never wanted to do something like that. Uh, so 21 years old, I did stand up for the first time at like Boots. Oh yeah. Which I think isn't even a 21 and up space. So that kind of isn't adding up to me now. <laughs> but, <laughs> But maybe at night when they had the bar, like when the bakery was done. It was a later know. at night type of a thing. I don't, I swear it wasn't, I think it was still all ages, even though it was like a night show there. So was it still like adult, like only attendees? Um, hard to say looking back. I don't know. There could have been like one kid there or something. You never know. But <laughs> remember. Oh, this is something interesting you'll have to share is when we used to do comedy night at Skipper's because I was thinking back to the fact that we were in the parking lot and there was, there were 
was there one infant in the stroller? Do you remember this yes. infamous time? Yes. <laughs> Strollerly infant in <laughs> attendance. Yeah. We had a some funny nights at Skipper's. <laughs> we went there two times, right? Yeah. I, I, you might have gone more than me, but I only, I think, oh, attended twice. Oh, sure. Did you go on the time? Yeah, you were there when it was my birthday. Mm-hmm. The yeah. infant, that was also a really fun night with the the drinking gal who was heckling everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. A classic Spokane heckler moment. Yeah, those are always Where so I was crunchy. Just, like, telling jokes, and she's like, how long have you lived in town? <laughs> yeah, like just shouting yeah. questions. At least disrespect me. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, if you're going to interrupt the show. Let's cuss me out or something. I have tell to me. tell you that you're being disrespectful when you're actually like being nice. You know, it's, it's worse. It's worse. It's like nice heckling. Yeah, yeah. If you tell Spokane friendly hecklers to shut up, they're like, all I did was ask you how long you've lived in town. Like, I just want to get to know you, you know. <laughs> Not the time or the place, my friend. You don't know where you are. Yeah, this is a fish Free restaurant. the room, buddy. Like, yeah. We're at Skipper's with fried fish in the middle of the restaurant. So, okay, here's another thing I was thinking about, like the visibility of trans people in that community. Are there other people like that you're aware of or how does that work with? Oh, for sure. Yeah. With Spokane's limited comedian scene. Um, most queer folks in general kind of stick to uh, the queer open mic. Um, my friend Jenny Watson um, is the only, well, I shouldn't, make the only type statements i'm like brain farting right now we did um, drink a t well you drank a ton of coffee at the satellite before this. yeah i like went past the point of like gonna help me talk into, <laughs> you know like like belligerent coffee yeah <laughs> a little bit lightheaded Where your uh, brain is like racing a million miles and your mm -hmm. body is jolting from the coffee like caffeine and coffee well jenny comes to mind right away but that's just you know yeah we, we talk and hang out and stuff uh, but just like, like trans folks who are kind of working yeah. all the mics and like wanting to just do as much stand up as possible. I think as a woman, it made, and I've said this to you, made me feel so much safer in that space, seeing like trans women get up and mm -hmm. hold that space and be visible. Um, something we've talked about, like just visibility of females in the comedy scene in general is, you know, not it's as slow. common. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, um, yeah. No, there are funny women who come out, but they don't come out as often because I think um, it's, well, we feel this way when we go out too. It's like, all right, well, well we're good for a couple of weeks. Like that was fucking insane. Yeah. You know, people are so rude or like, <laughs> why is this how this room has to feel? Mm -hmm. uh, and like, you're really doing people a service, like showing up and acting like this is a place where people can be silly and like not um, mean. Um, and it's hard to provide that labor every time you go out, right? Oh yeah. To like, uh, yeah. Like you're, I feel it physically sometimes. Some of the comedians say something and it's so off-putting mm -hmm. and it's like, ugh, like a stomach punch of like, I don't know if it's like anxiety, stress, yeah. <laughs> awkwardness, like, 
Um, so then it does, I think our entire friend group takes space from it, we'll like go, and then like I'll go like take a month off and then reappear. Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been a little bit lighter on it lately. Because my favorite that I tell people is our dream of doing like a triple header and getting like a tour bus and like hitting all the <laughs> comedy scene in one yeah, night. I don't do know. That. I don't know how to pull that off anymore. <clears throat> to like go to the club and then go to nine and then go to T's Lounge all on Tuesday. Yeah. It would take some pretty precise timing, uh, but it, it could be it could be done. You'd have to get on to the show at. Um, the comedy club very early and then have time to like run down to nine and sign up. Uh, that could probably, yeah, well. Did you ever pull that off? I couldn't remember. I have, I think. Oh, let me think. Hmm. Well, if I did, it was a long time ago and nights at the comedy club are so not memorable. <laughs> uh, that's a weird space too. Big time, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the last time I did stand up at the comedy club, I just like I spent two minutes just untangling the mic cord and like trying to breathe as slowly as I could. Um, yeah, I mean, I was like, I was pretty worked up <laughs> because the person who went up before me was like doing some really strange set about like uh, meeting somebody and trying to like guess whether or not they have like facial hair or like there's this really feminine presenting person and I was like I'm gonna say thanks dude but <clears> I want to make sure that that's not you know and the reality is that like dude or like hey man or whatever that's just how like everyone talks to each other <laughs> that used to sting me a lot like when I was really close to um, getting on hormones myself. And now I'm on the other side of that. And I'm like, yeah, it's just like, what's up, dude? That's how everyone talks. That's how like other trans people talk to me. It's not weird. It yeah, I call everyone dude. That's like my non-binary word for So everyone. did Bart just Simpson. Dude, and I you love know, him. <laughs> there's, it's, just, uh, it's just a cultural thing. And like, yeah, if you think about it for too long, it's like these are words that apparently like are masculine um but that's just kind of not how people use them uh yeah but yeah it's it's something that like people who have no experience with uh trans folks they seem to take it super seriously too uh which can be sweet like i've you know when I like started going by a different name, I had people ask me sometimes like, am I allowed to say like you guys when I talk about you and a group of people? Or am I allowed to say like, you know, man or dude or whatever. And, I like uh, that aspect of consent to like mm -hmm. approaching and you know, if that is something for you, people respecting that. Yeah. How has that process been of like taking hormones and transitioning and it's this kind of sweet. tighter community, but also, yeah, how are you feeling? Uh, I don't know. I can't, I don't know if it's really changed my community drastically. Like, I still relate to the same people that I relate to, and, like, my friendships haven't changed super drastically because uh, I already had really dope friendships. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
but yeah, I feel good. As your <laughs> as your friend, it was amazing when you like. I think you individually called us or like some. I don't know other friends. I sent a bunch of texts out. I uh, definitely think you called me though, and I was like so touched that you did and that you shared your like name, and mm-hmm. um, and I was happy to hear that other people in our friend group or extended friends um, were so welcoming and kind to you about that. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Uh, cause I just already had a good group of people around me. Um, and that deciding on my name, that was like a month after getting on the drugs. <laughs> How have the drugs been? How are those drugs? Oh, it's night and day. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. Uh, night and day, like just how you feel. Like like opposites, yeah. Like I don't know. It used to be bad, and now it's good. I don't. It's it's so subtle in a lot of ways, and also at the same time, so like completely. I mean, we're talking about a massive change. That's also so. Uh, I mean, it's not like taking some other sort of like psychologically affecting drug where it's like I'm on fucking drugs you know yeah (laughs) but like yeah it's just it's been like wildly um transformative of like my perceptions and like uh way of operating but in this kind of a uh, gentle way you know do you feel like more like yourself? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to say it. Uh, and it's not like I was never me before, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, hmm, yeah, it's, it's some weedy stuff to get into because, like... Um, Anytime someone takes a substance, like, period, what happens to you is not, like, deterministic, you know? Like, one person gets drunk, and they just fall asleep on the stairs. Another one gets drunk, and they're, like, throwing shit at the walls. You know what I mean? (laughs) You can't act like there's a magic quality about alcohol that, like, causes people to act this way or that way. Just as an example... And like, uh, the same goes for being on estradiol. Like, um, for me, I just feel clarified, you know? And like, there's less uh, gymnastics to do to like have my basic thoughts (laughs) and feelings. just like my experience with myself is less packaged. I don't have to like decrypt and re-encode my behavior. I just do what I do and I feel how I feel and it's not complicated, you know? You said initially it didn't feel great. Is that what you were saying? But I mean like my before times. Oh, I thought you were meaning like when you started it. No, oh my God, no. I mean like <clears throat> I felt better like the first day 
I, wow. put, I put a patch on and went to sleep and then woke up and was like, wow, okay, so, like, life is just good now? That's, <laughs> uh, okay. Gosh, that's amazing to hear. I was saying at the time that it's, like, uh, I mean, it's exactly what I thought someone taking uh, some sort of a medication for their mental health sounded like. Uh, like, oh, you just take a drug and now, like, you're happier? That's okay. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, how I felt getting on ADHD meds for the first time? Yeah, and it's a lot like that. It's not, it's not so much like a, uh, well, and I don't think that this is how it is for, for anyone. This is how a lot of trans people feels. Like, this is a mental health, this is a self-care type of a thing. It's not like uh, shallow... Um, you know, trying to present yourself in a way that, like, it's not about performing, but it is. But it's not about um, portraying something, you know, or, like, <sighs> words. Yeah. Picking them out, choosing them, putting them in order. You know what I mean? That's so hard for my uh, brain. <laughs> I get lost in my words very so often every day. Yeah. Just about my mental state, first and foremost. And everything that's changing about my body is like, hell yeah, that's great. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I already looked like that. I already was that person. Uh, it's just, like, not a secret anymore. And it's not something that I have to, like, wonder every day if that's real like and that's the thing that i think simplifies my daily life is that i uh i don't have to wonder you know if this is the kind of person that i am mm. that alone is super powerful yeah like so so worth it now wait a minute didn't did they require, like, as an adult, so back in the day when I was a therapist to underage students, they had to go through some kind of, like, counseling to take hormones mm -hmm. um, or hormone blockers. Is that what happens as an adult? Like, I don't know. I mean, what happened, what I did was, like, first went through this, like, service that you can pay for. Uh, it's like a private healthcare situation. Um, I was telling people a lot at the time that it felt like medical marijuana a little bit, where you kind of just pay a fee to be seen by a doctor <clears throat> and no insurance whatsoever. It's just like pay these fees. You're a member of our group now. And uh, that means your labs are paid for and your drugs are paid for and your visits are paid for. Just like pay the subscription. And it only worked in certain states. It's called Plume. Oh, yeah. Plume. And uh, so I signed up for that. I was seen, like, at the end of the month that I signed up. A little telehealth visit on my phone. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty much just like, yeah, so you're trans? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and a little <laughs> bit of intake questioning. That's just like, well, what do you... What do you see for yourself? What do you wish to uh, be taking or not taking or whatever? And then after that, they're just like, cool, got you a year's supply. Go ahead and pick it up. Should be ready tomorrow. 
So like getting in with all that was very fast. I just had to have 90 bucks, you know, to like get a subscription to this thing. But then uh, I decided that it would be cool to not be paying that monthly fee because like my finances were about to get super tight. And I was like, I have state insurance. I feel like I could probably be seeing somebody locally and have all my shit paid for. Yeah. And so I figured that out, got seen by a doctor, more people waving at us. Like, do they not see us working? Yeah. My God. How dare you waste this money (laughs) (laughs) that we don't get for advertising yet (laughs) for my investors. Blah, blah, blah. Where the hell was I? Yeah. So I I saw, I went to Chaz, to the Chaz clinic. And it, I just said, like, I'm already on estradiol and it kicks ass, so would you like to help me keep being on it, you know? Which I think is a different situation than just walking in and being like, hello, primary care provider who may or may not have ever met a trans person in their life. Uh, I would like to do this, you know? I was like, I'm already doing it. Yeah. It's already good. It's I can live. already tell you, like, the difference and why I should continue doing it. So, yeah, it was he was very cooperative. <laughs> And, like, (laughs) my uh, nurse, like, before I saw the doctor, was like, listen, Eric does not know about this kind of thing. If you don't want to see him, let me know, because there's other doctors, you know. That's awesome. I was like, I I don't know. As long as he gets me my fucking drugs, like, (laughs) (laughs) it's whatever. Uh, (laughs) And so I do find myself, like, educating him a lot in our visits, and uh, when he's asking me about things, it's like, yeah, I'll tell you my whole life story about why I feel like this and, like, the things that have happened to me that, like, showed that and have validated it through the years. And I like telling those stories, so it's all good. And um, and you're probably, yeah. I don't know if you want to be educating him, but maybe it'll be this kind of, like, paying it forward to others. Uh, now he'll be more you know, aware when he has other patients come in. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I don't mind telling those stories. I kind of like showed up to those uh, visits, like hoping that my, all of my lore could come out just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's fine. He, he's not, um, he, he just doesn't know a lot. He's not like mean or stupid, you know, he just like, hasn't had the kinds of conversations that he has with me before. So now he has. And there we go. And hopefully then he moves forward with that information. And it sounds like he's open to learning, like not Mm -hmm. doubling down on being Mm -hmm. like some medical professional. I have nothing else to learn. I'm just the expert of everything, Uh, which can tend to happen in the medical model uh, that we just can't humble ourselves, I guess, like to hear like other people's experiences oh yeah not something that we're really aware of yeah just like what what the research says is gonna trump like what people are bringing to you Mm -hmm. every time and then the research is based on the people who are coming to you and who you will listen to to begin with so like you know that's a real like blind leading the blind snake eating its tail whatever you want to call it like yeah um So I was wondering, like, I don't know if this is too personal, but just how everyone around you, like, 
family-wise is responding to you staying in Spokane, transitioning, all of that? Because you come from California. Like, mm-hmm. kind of what keeps you in Spokane? Oh, yeah, I guess I don't know. Well, I, I came here this time because I, I wanted space to uh, be myself and uh, probably was plenty of ways to do that in California as well. But uh, I didn't, I don't know. Everyone I was thinking about and talking to lived up here when I was living in California in 2021. And I just felt this very strong urge to like be with people who know me like in that way, who have like spent a few, you know, a handful of years like being around me and watching me change. so I decided to come up here and be surrounded by those folks as I like figured out my path. And um, so community in Spokane mm-hmm. has like kept you. Yeah, I think that's awesome and really important. I think as people are transitioning and like that seems like it would be really important to have people kind of wrapping around you through that journey. Oh, yeah, and, like, definitely people who have, like, known me before and after and who are, like, keeping up with it. That's really good for my peace of mind. Yeah. And I wanted my, like, biological family to be those people, but they, like, super don't want to. Uh, I mean, my sisters get it. But also, like, I never see them. They live in their own places, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh. But yeah, that's, I think I remember a long time ago working with um, Odyssey Youth Center and Jude, who used to run it, uh, introduced me to like all these kind of factors of what uh, protect somebody transitioning or being gay or lesbian or a part of the LGBTQ community is uh family response or the people around you like caring for you so whenever I meet with parents or families I'm like you're the number one safety factor I think Mm -hmm. all these families think oh you're walking on the street someone's gonna just jump you because you're trans or these very fear-based what they think are protecting others I I am going to demean you for your identity now so that no one does it when you go outside yeah I will make you feel ashamed of this like as a service and come to find uh, out, mm-hmm. and you and I just talked about this before we got here, at, people have been really kind and, like, better <laughs> or more responsive in yeah. a nice way than maybe, So I don't far, know. so good. Yeah, I don't know. And I also haven't necessarily, like, I've been, like, leaning past the mic. <laughs> and no idea what's being picked up at all. I know. I wondered that, too. Like, how much can I move around it or be in front or behind it? <laughs> I have zero mic technique in this, in this interview. I don't either. We're just learning as we go. Because that's like what I think is cool about the podcast room or just this experience uh, doing this is what did it, what is the Spokane Library's uh, slogan again? Like a community of learning. So (laughs) we're, we're engaged in the community of learning right now. Yeah. It means people get to freaking wave at me (laughs) through a window. Yeah. (laughs) Be voyeurs for free. 
But yeah, so maybe we wrap up here. And what are some, I don't know, you said something really hilarious yesterday about, like, was it this woman who wants to stay in Spokane or the reason she stays? Or no, it was like about the energy being off here. Like she wanted to explain to you, like. Oh, yeah. I love that tidbit. There's lots of like Spokane is cursed or like this place is a like a simulation or a movie set type of like ideas that are out there because everyone feels like it's just weird. Yeah. No one can totally place it. Uh, but when I was working at a farmer's market for a while, I had this regular who would come up to me and just like talk about weird shit. And uh, one time she was like, you know, uh, underneath Spokane, there's just huge chunks of quartz everywhere. The whole city is built on this bed of quartz. And if you go down to the riverbed, you can see just chunks of quartz everywhere. And I've never verified the chunks. <laughs> I've never verified the chunks myself. Start digging. I just believed her. I was like, yeah, there's got to be those chunks. <laughs> Did she explain? And I'm still curious about this. River. Like, what do you, what, I don't know enough about minerals. Or yeah, we talked about, we yeah, both love minerals. Know, but quartz is cool. You look it at is it, cool. Like, it's a sweet rock. Um, it seems like in massive quantities it causes Spokane. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I'll, I just believe that. I'm I like, really want to talk to a geologist yeah. about this. <laughs> and I want them to explain. We should research this if somebody's listening and is a geologist. Send us a piece of, send us a letter. Ooh, my chair went down. Send us a little letter to our P.O. box here at the station and let us know the effects of quartz on a large population. Because we think that's what's happening here. It is here. the foremost theory. Also, another... Play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Earlier when we were talking about Ted Lasso, I can't get that out of my brain. And, like, comparison, oh, yeah. or comparing it to Spokane, like, and... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spokane, nice. Because I brought that up on my intro episode. Uh, like, Have you ever heard Minnesota nice, just as an aside? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. But anyway... But okay, can I ask about Minnesota nice? Yeah. I aren't they actually nice? Like <laughs> they're like actually kind. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't feel that different. Um, I mean, just whatever. I yeah, it, maybe it manifests a little bit differently, but it's that like, I'll always say howdy neighbor. I yeah. always will, you know, even though I think that you deserve to go to hell. I'll never say it to your face, buddy. Don't worry, you know. <laughs> I'll just think it and wish it upon you. Yeah, yeah. And, and here and in Minnesota, I think you see a lot of that, like, real neighborly displays uh, that just don't actually, like, amount to uh, being invested in your neighbor's well-being, you know. Yeah. Uh, an example being maybe, because uh, I was there in 2020, the old George Floyd uprising, and uh, was there for one of the protests, gatherings, uh, rallies, where the city council came out with these like massive signs that they had like hand painted, and it was a big old photo op thing. You know, they're like, we are going to adopt these five principles forever, and. They all stood on this little stage and each member of the city council was holding a corner of these big old flags that are like community-based policing is the future (laughs) or whatever. Uh, And it felt so good, 
you know? Yeah. They doubled back on all that shit within, like, two weeks. Like, it immediately was like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, really hard to bring this stuff up. Really, it's a sensitive conversation. So, I mean, how do you start something like that? <laughs> uh, I think uh, maybe in the next three months, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about talking about it in three <sighs> months, you know, and, like, it just kind of got endlessly uh, put off. I don't know where all that ended up. I have a feeling that um, Minnesota did not overhaul their police department system. <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion <laughs> yes, that it did not strong. come to pass. Uh, feeling about that. Yeah, not that's changing. like that's like that kind of niceness, you know. I'll I'll come out to your event. I'll show this like massive outward visual tangible physical sign of support you know but like it yeah you were never gonna fucking follow through on that you know uh these are all trigger words for me. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that like not doing what you said you were gonna do it has so many rationalizations that are like now you need to accept what's hard about this for me or else you're not being nice to me you know, like you have to support these people because they're trying their best. Uh, you know. I think. And ulti- yeah. sorry. No, I was just gonna say I think that's a lot of people's feeling you know. about so many topics. Like, let's talk about me being a victim in this. <laughs> and it's like we're talking about you right now. Yeah. We're talking about policing. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, were about to say something though. Yeah. Um. I was. I was, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> was it something about, I don't know, that act of, I don't know, the people victimizing themselves? In oh, this- right. I remember now. Well, all of that in hindsight just felt like uh, a way of soothing unrest and saying, like, everyone can stop being in the streets now, okay, because we're doing, we're doing big things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, like, yeah, that's the only thing that made anything happen. That's the only reason why the country and the world was talking about that at the time was because no one was going to wait for the nice people who are in the nice position to do the nice thing because it just keeps never happening, you know? Yeah. It's not the first time that people have done that. Like, this is the last time. I Well, I've just had it about up to here. I'm going to go talk to the mayor, you know? <laughs> No, like that we're here and it's boiled over to this point because every time someone has like shown that big support for the people or whatever, it just doesn't pan out. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, and I think it worked a little bit, you know, I mean, things did not stop after that particular rally. Uh, yeah nationally uh, too just mm-hmm. continued and continued Spokane has had its own kind of reforming our um, ombudsman department overseeing the police and just how that has shifted like post uh, George Floyd but all these things are still occurring nationally people being harmed wrongfully by policing uh, actually, you remember when I just did that motivational interviewing training? Yeah, yeah, you were talking about motivational interviewing. Yes, and kind Which of the whole... sounds like a cult. 
but go on. Yes. yes, but the premise or like a big piece of it was how they're using MI with the police here in Spokane and maybe nationally, I'm not sure, um, to build these skills. And I thought that was so interesting. Like they're using therapeutic interventions now um, as police to t kind of learn this new language on how to discuss. And I think, or I hope, that there's like this huge, I don't know, growth with it because they're on the front lines too, but I'm like, there's also just so much more education that policing yeah. needs. Well, I, yeah, and what's what's gonna work faster? Like turning the police into therapists or just putting some therapists in there? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like I don't, Oh yeah. giving people access to like, I, I, I hundred percent. I like the idea in a way, but also it feels like that same thing of like, look, we're, we're teaching the police how to give better hugs. All right. We're doing that. It's like, you don't, we don't want them to be there. Like they're, they're with the bulletproof armor and like all the clips strapped to them. That's not who needs to show up. I don't care how like soft their voice is now, you know, like, yeah. Uh, like why aren't now actually when I call 911 here, and it's like a student in crisis, they send um, a therapist out instead of having the police come because that's who I have to call when I need someone to transport a student and they don't have transportation, for instance, like their family doesn't have a car or, mm -hmm. you know, various reasons. And I was really happy to see that that has occurred. Like when I call 911, it isn't like the police coming in, it's a therapist coming in. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that's that was one of the takeaways of that whole time in in Minnesota was like uh, you're using the wrong tools for the job. Just period. Like this this force that we employ in these situations, it does not have its roots in the right place. This is a descendant of the slave patrols and et cetera, et cetera. Like don't reform it just like start over again because this shit is not it like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. well uh, that sounds more encouraging to me you know that like someone who needs therapy uh gets an emergency therapist you know instead of like yeah yeah like you're saying that nothing or i can't think of a more triggering thing when a kid that I'm working with is in crisis and someone's coming strapped with guns. Um, it escalates situations just like period. If that's who shows up. Yeah. Like, and it's a shame because if someone responds, if someone in that vulnerable position, like takes it seriously, like how threatening it is that this person just showed up, like now they're acting outrageous and like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, Some examples. So let's wrap up here, even though I said that a while ago. I was like, this is so me on like on a phone call being like, oh, we're done here. And let's talk for another hour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of like us last night on the phone for two hours. I'm not even sure how long we've been recording. Um, what's like maybe some words of advice to the Spokane community? <laughs> 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 or... Uh, I don't know. Are there Buy final some thoughts? Bitcoin. <laughs> final thoughts to the Get Spokane community. The NFT craze already, because <laughs> folks, it's free money. <laughs> you get these digital chimpanzees going. The next thing you know, who knows? 
great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What'll yeah. happen? That's something I'm not informed on. I do not. Oh, I, me neither. No. That's <laughs> like Bitcoin. Someone else is going to have to talk I don't about know that. If I have any advice for the people of Spokane. Yeah. Well, I just. Besides, wanna... I technically live in the Spokane Valley. So oh, I my really God. Don't, I'm not. How part dare of this. I? Yeah. But so funny. The podcast from the Valley. <laughs> In the Spokane I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> this is the letdown. At the end of all of this talking, I don't even actually live in Spokane. I, <laughs> I live in, in the valley of Spokane. <laughs> we have our own budget. We have our own silly newspaper. We, you have your we, own city council and mm-hmm. mayor? <laughs> Pretty sure. Yeah, what's happening with the politics? And I, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Well, Wilma, I just want to thank you for being my first guest on Casual Disasters and being vulnerable, speaking out on like trans, you know, issues or vulnerabilities about that transition family comedy scene and just being the shit as a friend and feel really lucky um, to be your friend and how much you've influenced and impacted me just watching your vulnerability and rawness around being yourself and that transition and being open to discuss it even aside from this podcast just as a friend um it feels really yeah just special to be connected to you in that way thanks yeah well thank you for being someone i can like talk to about all that kind of stuff and uh they're they're few and far between so i've always valued uh the space that you create in your backyard for a little (laughs) bit of just talking about how we actually feel i love uh, that yeah, that is a special space. I can't wait till uh, we can go back to doing outside fires and it's not freezing and shitty out in Spokane since it's so dark here in the winter. Well, that is it, and thank you for listening. Oh, shit. Look at me on the wrong map.